Hi, ladies. Welcome to the Olives and Arrows podcast, where we discuss women's health, marriage, fertility, pregnancy, birth, motherhood, and much more from a biblical worldview. While we might not agree on every theological issue, we are unified in the truth of the gospel and recognize that this cannot be separated from our experiences. It's a gift to be able to share these things with you today. I pray that you will be encouraged and that God will be glorified. Keep in mind that the things we discuss are personal experiences. You may relate to the information, but every woman's body is different. You should always discuss your health and wellness practices with a trusted healthcare provider. Please note that on this podcast, we do discuss details regarding our bodies that you might want to discuss with your kids before they hear them on our show. With that in mind, let's get started. Hi, Melanie. Welcome to the Olives and Arrows podcast. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from. Yeah, my name is Melanie Russell. Uh, I live in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, which is just about 45 minutes north of Tulsa with my husband, Jonathan. We got married September of 2020. Um, And right now I'm currently a stay-at-home wife (laughs) slash uh, photographer. I run a photography business uh, through my maiden name, which is Melanie Foster Photography. Um, I photograph uh, a lot of college seniors, engagements, proposals, um, and then the most most of my time is spent taking care of my husband and our home renovation that we are um, cu- currently uh, managing a 1935 uh, colonial home in downtown Bartlesville that we love and have put lots of time and love into the last uh, six months or so, uh, and just taking care of him and um, hoping to start our family in the next couple months. That's so exciting. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about how you met your husband and just kind of the journey of your relationship? Yeah. So I had a little backstory. I actually had a seven year on and off relationship that took a huge toll on my heart naturally. Um, But of course the Lord used that, I think, uh, as one of the major points of my story and my testimony to sanctify me and draw me closer to him, especially through uh, all of the on and off periods. Um, but after after a few months, uh, the final breakup happened, uh, I think late 2018. And I decided to take a couple months dating hiatus. I had spent like quite a bit of time in the off, like kind of in the the off periods dating as well. And uh, definitely had a lot of flings in the in-betweens. Um, and so looking back, I, I think I see that dating break as a huge mile marker uh, and definitely the beginning of a shift in priorities as the Lord prepared me to meet Jonathan uh, later in 2019. So that dating break was at the beginning of the year. I met Jonathan October of 2019. One of my best friends from college lives here in Bartlesville with her husband and They knew Jonathan through a small group that they were hosting, and they initiated the setup. And of course, it worked out perfectly. And they had us over for a football game on a Saturday. They knew, it's funny, they knew we both loved OU football, and we were Reformed Christians. And that was really the two major things that they needed to be like, "Hmm, yeah, this could work. Um, So we got together with them on a Saturday uh, he actually had a mullet at the time. And uh, girl, that's brave. <laughs> I know. I remember her asking me, like, is this okay? Like, are you sure you still want to meet him? And I was like, yeah, it's it's fine. Like, you know, he, he seems like he's right up my alley and just my type. So I wanted to give it a shot. And 
Um, it took me a little bit to warm up to him for sure. And I, I say that we only dated for four months before we got engaged. Um, but those first couple of weeks, uh, probably first four to six weeks, I was like, I don't know about this. And then um, I was pretty all in after that. So we dated for four months and then got engaged. And then we were married within 11 months of meeting, uh, which was September of 2020. That's awesome. That's almost identical minus the mullet to my husband and I. <laughs> we met through some family friends and we were married within 11 months of meeting too. So that's I love it. Yeah. My yeah. big question is, did the haircut make it to the wedding? It did not. No, he, <laughs> he had, he, he used it almost as um, like a test for girls that he would date. It was like, if they couldn't get past the hair, then he probably didn't want to be spending time with them to begin with, which was really smart. Um, he had mullets on and off throughout his childhood. He's just kind of, he calls himself an odd duck. He is, he's very quirky. Um, and it's funny, I'll tell him now, I'm like, I'm okay. Like if you want to grow your mullet back out, that's fine. I just would rather it be a little bit shorter than it was. It was really curly and long. And, um, <laughs> I, I was not going to say anything about it the first couple of dates. So, uh, we finally got to the point where I was like, can we, can we like talk about it? Like, I don't really <laughs> care if you cut it or not. I just kind of want to know what's going on. Um, and within two days of that, he he went and shaved it all off. So, um, so he, he said he would cut it for the right girl. And after he did that, I was like, Oh shoot. Like I'm, this is for real. <laughs> I'm her. I'm the right girl. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I can't. That's, out awesome. That's too funny. Um, whenever my husband and I got married, um, I found out that the tattoo on his arm that I always thought was Hebrew was an Elvish tattoo, like from Lord of the Rings. So, oh. you know, they all have their quirks and we love them for it. Right. Yeah. Yes, we sure do. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So, um, tell me a little bit about your fertility history um and just kind of where you're coming from um kind of where you were before y'all got married and where you are now yeah uh, i was on the birth control pill from the time i was 15 to 26 for cramps uh, i actually grew up catholic so um i remember it being a big conversation between my mom and my dad about whether or not i'd be able to go on it obviously catholics don't believe in birth control. Um, and so I, I don't remember asking any questions about it. I just knew it was a solution to the pain that I was experiencing every month, um, with the severe cramping that I had. So I was on it for nine or 10 years and never thought twice about it. And then it dawned on me one day that I had been on it for that long. And I was like, this, this surely can't be a good thing long-term. Right. And so um, I started worrying that it would affect my future fertility. And, you know, looking back, it's, I think it's kind of ironic that initially it wasn't even a spiritual concern, um, but more from a health perspective. So I called my doctor's office and had this full list of questions and they assured me that everything was, was fine and it wouldn't affect anything down the road. And uh, I went in for my annual appointment and had that conversation again. And ended up getting a bunch of pamphlets for the IUDs and the bars, thinking that I was at least going to switch birth control methods. Um, and this whole time, it's really just for, for cramping. I mean, it wasn't even um, 
for anything outside of that. And so those pamphlets sat in my my closet for a whole whole year while I was still on the pill. I never ended up making a decision about it. Um, and I actually still have those pamphlets. It's pretty interesting now that I know uh, quite a bit more about our bodies and our natural cycles. Um, it's interesting to go back and look at those and to look inside at like the teeny tiny print on the massive piece of paper about all of the risks associated. And um, so they just sat in my closet for, for a full year um, until I was introduced to FAM about a year later. Awesome. And um, can you kind of take us into the questions that you were asking your doctor um, and just what their response was? Yeah. Um, I, I had a note in my phone and I don't know if I still have it or not, but, um, I think I was, it, the focus was really on like, is this unhealthy for me long-term? Will this affect my future fertility? Um, what are my other options that I have? Um, and you know, I, I didn't know anything about my cycle. Um, I had, uh, probably started my period at 13, maybe. So I really only had a cycle for two years before I started taking the pill. And at that point, it was like, I if I remember to take it, great. If I didn't, no big deal. I would just take it again the next day, and it wasn't it wasn't a problem because I wasn't sexually active. Um, and so, you know, the questions I had were really focused on. This has been a long time. And I don't really know what I'm doing to my body. Um, and I really didn't even know what my body was capable of doing on its own. Um, and I think one of the things I took away from, um, from uh, that and then further research and, and uh, study of what is a menstrual cycle, what happens uh, throughout the month, how does your body respond to certain things, is that our period is a sign of health. Um, and I, I had no idea that there was so many, there were so many, uh, signs of fertility and taking your temperatures and uh, tracking cervical mucus that never, no one ever told me that. And, um, as I came to discover fam, I think I harbored a lot of anger, uh, towards probably just society in general, and maybe a little bit of the medical community of like, why, why aren't we taught as young women that our bodies are capable of doing such amazing things? I can definitely relate to that for sure. Um, so tell me a little bit about your transition to FAM. Um, so first of all, can you just tell us what it is for those who don't know? Yes. So fertility awareness method, also known as FAM, um, for me, the way I describe it to people is it's really just a natural way to track your body's cycles. Um, and there are a lot of different methods within FAM that you can use to do this. Um, our bodies uh, tell us through our basal body temperature, um, and uh, it can confirm ovulation and also tell you a little bit about where you are in your cycle, whether um, follicular or luteal phase. Um, you can also track your cervical mucus consistency um, and your cervical position. So those are the three that I'm most aware of, most in tune with. Um, and as far as, um, discovery of FAM, I had a friend who had started talking about getting her IUD out after some health issues that she was experiencing. 
and she told me that she was going to start temping and tracking her cycle. And at the time, of course, I had no idea that that was even possible uh, or that our bodies gave us so much information about our fertility and that our fertility was a sign of health. You know, if you're having a period every month and you're ovulating every month, that's a sign that your body's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Um, so, of course, I was intrigued and started doing some research on it. Um, I dug into the different methods available, and it was during that research that it became much more of a spiritual conviction as opposed to uh, a physical one. Um, thank the Lord that the Holy Spirit convicted me of that and definitely challenged my views of children because ultimately it comes down, I think, primarily to a heart issue of um, you know, how we view children and how we view the creation of children um, and how birth control ties in with that. Uh, at the same time, I think I was developing my firm pro-life stance. And so um, just thanking the Lord for that conviction, but also um, his timing of those two things kind of going hand in hand. Um, what I love about this story for me personally was that it all happened around the same time I started dating Jonathan. Um, so I, I had talked to him about it <laughs> within probably our first month or two of dating. Um, and that was when I went off of the pill for good. And I started tracking my temperatures and cervical mucus. And it took me about four or five months to start feeling really confident in what I was doing. And probably about six or seven months before my body really started regulating itself after being on the pill for so long. I did have um, some side effects from going off of the pill. I had terrible acne. Um, and of course, this was the year leading into my wedding. So I was uh, terrified that this was going to be a major issue on my wedding day. Um, and I, of course, had the return of cramping. But my period came back, you know, just like it had been when I was a teenager, just as I remembered it. Um, so that was a huge blessing. And um, Jonathan was just above and beyond supportive and interested and wanted to be a part of the journey, which I think is really unique. And not all men, you know, care that much or, you know, want to know where you are in your cycle. But um, to have someone that was really supportive of that was a huge blessing. So we kind of went on the journey together, uh, thankfully. And I knew that if we were going to get married, that we needed to have it down and feel confident in the process. Absolutely. That is so awesome. Um, so whenever you started experiencing those symptoms, um, was that was that a difficult journey for you? Like, did you feel um, like you might want to give up? Or do you think that you had that drive to keep going because of all the information you now knew? I was very driven to stay with fam um, at that point. I think you know, when I first started doing, when I first started asking questions of my doctor's office that year before I discovered FAM, I think I went off the pill for a month and I started having those same symptoms come back up and I, I gave it up. I was like, I'm just going to go back on. Um, so after I gave it up the for real to, to switch to FAM, uh, I knew it was going to be a commitment. I knew marriage was in my future and I did not want to be on birth control. Um, I knew that the spiritual conviction was strong, um, strong enough to help me stick with it. I joined fertility awareness groups on Facebook that were super helpful. Um, I read Taking Charge of Your Fertility. Um, so I was able to 
see that this was normal, um, kind of the withdrawal period. Um, and I was, I was going to do it. I was going to stick with it. I think the spiritual conviction was the strongest for sure, but also knowing that marriage was, you know, at that point going to be in my near future, uh, this was going to be the best option for us. That's awesome. Um, and you briefly mentioned before just kind of your thinking around kids and how the Lord um, soften your heart on that subject and just kind of open your eyes to the way that our society views children. Can you take us into that a little bit further? Yes, I would love to. Um, yeah, we, I was one of those people that was not sure if I wanted kids. I always assumed that I would have kids just because it's kind of the cultural norm. Um, but I, I was worried about how I would be as a mother and, um, I worried about having difficult children, uh, not being able to connect with my future children. Um, and the, I think the selfishness aspect of it, like I really, I, I grew up the youngest of three girls. I, for a big chunk of my childhood felt like an only child. And so I think I've always struggled with that selfishness and wanting my time to be my own. Um, and so I, I, obviously knew that children would be a huge commitment and would force you to let go of that selfishness. Um, and so I, I wasn't really sure if I wanted kids uh, for a long time. And it really wasn't until I discovered Reformed theology and started being influenced by um, a lot of Reformed voices uh, that I began to realize that my thinking was not in line with God's word. Um, we know uh, that children are a blessing and a heritage from the Lord, from scripture. And as I grew in my understanding of, um, of the Bible and uh, my respect for scripture and its infallibility um, and authority, I began praying through that of, you know, wanting to believe that this was true, um, even though I didn't probably believe it at the time. Um, and so I, I began to just repeat it to myself, like children are a blessing, children are a blessing, children are a blessing. And um, I knew that if I started that really early on before children were, you know, a conversation that when it got to that point, that hopefully I would be um, in that place. And um, thankfully, the Lord has answered those prayers. And um, Jonathan and I have a really wonderful community here, specifically through our church. We attend the PCA church in Bartlesville. And there are a lot of children and a lot of really big families uh, and that multi-generational community that we get to experience where we're hanging out with families with five kids from age seven to 20 or with three kids from newborn to four. And, you know, all the kids are running around after church on Sundays and getting to spend time with children. I've really been able to see uh, that I think come out of my fingertips in a way that I wasn't really sure if that had come to fruition yet. Um, I knew in my heart I was believing it, but actually getting to live it and be around children and really grow to appreciate uh, little ones and who they are and the fun that they bring to everything um, has been really wonderful to see. So um, yeah, our, our society, <laughs> I think our society tends to uh, view children as a burden or as something to put off. Um, and that is not what God's word says. Um, I think even a lot of Christians fall into that trap of 
you get married and you buy a house and you get a dog and then you have kids down the road, you know, like you, you have that time, just the two of you and you travel and Jonathan and I were very adamant that we, um, we didn't want to follow that normal path. We didn't want to look like our other Christian friends, not because that was necessarily wrong, but because we knew uh, from scripture that children are a blessing and it's not something that, that we needed to wait five, six, seven years for Lord willing. Um, we wanted to hopefully wait a year at the time when we got married, that was kind of our thinking um, and set a good foundation for our marriage um, and then jump right into family life and start raising little ones that we could train up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I love that you talked about how at the end of the day, this is a theological issue um, that we have in our culture. And even within the church, this kind of checklist that we've made up for ourselves that really it's, it's worldly. It's just a reflection of what the world does. Yeah. You date for a really long time and then you're engaged for two years and then you um, just enjoy married life for five years and then you have kids eventually. And um, I think if we're approaching marriage and the family in that way, we're grossly misinterpreting scripture um, because every single reference to children and scripture, I mean, that's why this is called the Allis and Eros podcast um, because of Psalm 128 and Psalm 127. Um, children are a blessed inheritance and, and whenever children are refer- referred to, um, it's that it, it lifts up the family. Um, mm-hmm. It makes the wife more beautiful and makes the husband honored. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that if we're approaching kids or family with anything less than that, it's a hard issue for us. Um, and we need to go to the Lord about it. So I love that you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, um, let's also talk about um what does fam look like for you on a daily basis um so just kind of the process that you go through i think a lot of people hear about fam and they think oh my goodness it's this you know 15 step process and i have to be on top of it and it's you know scary but um what has that been like for you yeah uh we so when we got married, I I was kind of nervous. I was like, is this going to actually work? And I mean, I knew it would because the data and the groups that I was in. Um, but it was really terrifying entering that world of things, you know, our wedding night and being like, okay, this here's the real test. Um, so day to day, I started out temping just with a BBT thermometer. Um, and Jonathan actually for one of my wedding gifts got me a temp drop, which was so wonderful. So I didn't have to wake up at the same time every morning and worry about how I'd slept the night before. Um, so I wore my temp drop every night, um, starting probably like a week after our wedding, um, and log that through an app called read your body. Um, I started off with a couple different ones and there's a lot of different opinions and takes out there about different uh, cycle tracking apps. Uh, but I found that the the ones that gave me the most freedom and flexibility to 
uh, input my own data and analyze it myself were going to be the most helpful long-term so that I was actually learning to read my body, um, <laughs> which was the name of the app. But um, so uh, temping every morning um, and then tracking my cervical mucus um, was the big one. I was tracking cervical position as well, but I'm not totally sure, you know, if my body follows the normal patterns of uh, where cervical position should be at certain times of the month. So um, that's more kind of just when I feel like it might be necessary to confirm. Um, but otherwise, temp and cervical mucus tracking were the number one and number two things that I was doing. And at this point, you know, I probably six or seven months into tracking in general, uh, I felt confident enough that um, I, I, I felt like I had it under control and I knew exactly what my body's patterns were, what to expect every month. Um, and even now I feel like I could go without the temping. I mean, I'm able to know exactly where I am in my cycle, uh, just based on the data that my body's giving me from a physical perspective, not even, you know, with temping, obviously temping is great to confirm ovulation and, um, is a great, uh, added element of data and information to have. And um, one of the things Jonathan and I say is that the, the more data you have or the more information you have, the better, just generally speaking. Um, and so I'll probably continue doing both of those things. But um, yeah, day to day, we we tracked both of those signs. Um, and then I don't know how, how personal you want me to get as far as when Bring I was in on. my fertile window. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, I had like a whole list of rules in a note in my phone before we got married because I was like, I don't want to have a honeymoon baby. <laughs> um, and so we had a whole note and rules that we were going to follow. Um, and so initially we, uh, decided that we were going to use condoms through my fertile window. Um, and I was really particular and I said, we're going to use condoms and we're going to withdraw. Um, and after probably the first month I was like, uh, actually, it was probably the first two or three months I said, um, you know, it's okay if you don't withdraw at that point. Um, and then outside of my fertile window, it's unprotected. So um, it was it was funny when he first noticed the difference between uh, protected and unprotected sex and uh, that conversation. But he was such a trooper. And initially, <laughs> the first time we had talked about it when we were still engaged, he was like, I'm not wearing a condom with my wife and I was like I'm sorry <laughs> I don't know what else <laughs> to tell you but he very quickly came around um, and understood you know why the rules were in place that we had and um, how things were going to work and so um, yes all very much TMI but uh, that's what we're here for and, yeah. yeah I think are often like, wait, like you don't have, like you're not on birth control. How does that work? And you kind of have to go into those details. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. So that's what we, that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I think a lot of people just don't understand that you can't just get pregnant at any time. Like that's not how it works. You have a short fertile window, um, a couple days at most. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, with, with husbands, it's funny because 
Um, I think that's the reaction of a lot of husbands. Like I'm not wearing a condom with my wife, but um, <laughs> then you mentioned that the alternative is abstinence and they're like, okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Well, and that distinction I think is really helpful as far as like you only have a couple of days that you can get pregnant a month. And I didn't know that. Like I, I think back to where I was before fam and I was clueless. And so that's one of the things that I, when I have conversations with people about fam and what we do, I'm like, go, go read about the female body and the menstrual cycle and like everything that happens, um, month to month. It's, it's incredible. And yeah, so I, I think that's just an important thing to note too, is that there are so many things that should be common knowledge. Um, like, you know, you have a fertile window and it's five to seven days or whatever. And you can't get pregnant outside of that. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned the the menstrual cycle thing, because a lot of people assume that the menstrual cycle is just when you're on your period. And that's mm-hmm. not the case. Your whole, um, your whole cycle is a cycle. So, yeah. you know, you have your ovulation phase and your period and, um, and there's different markers for each one of those stages. Um, and I think, I think when we go to like an OB and they're like, so how are your cycles or, you know, are you on your cycle right now? I think that that should be kind of a red flag, um, that maybe they're the kind of OB that's not going to talk to you about, um, you know, what the full cycle of a woman looks like, because if they're saying, are you on your cycle right now? your response should be, well, I'm not in menopause. And yeah. if you are, then of course you're not on a cycle, but you know what I mean? Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so with that, like, did you end up changing care providers at all? Or did you consider like moving to like the midwifery model of care or how, did, how has this affected your health care with your doctors? That is a great question. Uh, so I have continued to see, or I had continued to see uh, an OB-GYN. And when I went off of the pill, uh, as I was transitioning to FAM, I went in and I said, hey, I'm planning on doing this. And I, I expected some pushback just based on conversations I had had with another friend who was on FAM. And, um, I I wouldn't say I got, you know, traditional pushback, which was a blessing, but they did say, if you change your mind or if the cramping gets too severe, or if you'd rather not deal with this, like, feel free to come back and we'll give you your prescription. (laughs) And so it was kind of like, you have an out. And, and I upfront stated like, this is for, um, faith-based reasons. And so I think maybe that kind of put almost like a roadblock of like, like, you're not going to question um, why, when I've told you it's a faith-based decision. Um, and so I, I had continued seeing that OB, but it was funny when we were getting married, I was like, do I need to like go to the doctor before I get married? I feel like I always had in my head, you know, right before you, you get married, you go and you get your birth control and they like check you out, make sure everything's okay. And then you get married. Um, and so I was like, well, I, I don't need to do that. I know I'm ovulating normally. I have normal periods. Um, the cramping is a little severe still, but I think I can manage that with, uh, diet and supplements and, um, we'll go from there. And so as far as looking, looking ahead, 
Um, we live in a fairly small town, and so we don't have very many OB-GYNs in town. And uh, we've considered going to Tulsa to see one there. But I think ultimately this transition to FAM has kind of uh, led to a bigger transition of our views of traditional medicine in general. Um, and so I, I do think we will explore uh, midwife, doula, uh, family practice doctor um, as time goes on and um, as we continue care for this specific area, but also for our future children. That's awesome. Yeah, that happens to most of us when we kind of walk into the the natural world. And what I say when I mean that is not what I mean when I say that is not any kind of like new age weirdness, like we're not rubbing right. crystals on our body or anything like that. But we're really just looking at what is God doing in our bodies normally? Like how has he created our bodies to function? Um, and how do we support that, that function rather than work against it or try to fix a symptom without looking at like root issues? So, you know, looking at something like the midwifery model of care or even like a more natural minded OB um, happens very frequently um, when your eyes are kind of open to these issues. Yeah. And, and I didn't expect that either. I think uh, Jonathan has leaned more in that direction his whole life generally, but um, he's kind of brought me along with him as well. Um, and, and I think the entire last year really has shown me that we have some some major issues in traditional medicine. Um, and that's, I, I have, you know, great respect for doctors and med school and the process and the training that they go through. Um, but I'm also not someone who's afraid to try a more natural method or remedy. Um, and birth control is one of those things that a lot of times we see used as just a bandaid on our symptoms. Um, and there are a lot of other areas that that's done with as well. I think that's kind of how our doctors view and treat health issues is treating the symptoms as opposed to looking at the body from a more holistic perspective and then seeking to understand and treat the root causes as well. Yeah, that's incredible for sure. Um, so tell us about kind of the transition to trying to conceive. When did that start? And, um, have you changed anything or have you just kind of noticed your fertile window and tried then? I will say it has been a huge blessing in transitioning to TTC to know exactly what to do and when and how, and to know my body's uh, cycle and what's normal for my body. It's, I, I was thinking, you know, if I hadn't switched to fam, this would be such a different experience because you would have to learn a lot of these things uh, starting at ground zero. And so that's been a huge blessing to just know right away, like, okay, if we want to start trying, we can start trying. Like, you know, as soon as my fertile window opens, I mean, I know exactly when that is. And so we, we had talked about waiting uh, for one year after we got married, before we started trying, we really thought, you know, that was a reasonable amount of time to get settled, set a strong foundation for our marriage. Um, and we got married in September and around Christmas time, we actually started joking that we were going to start trying. Um, and that joke very quickly became very serious. Like within a day or two, we were like, oh wait, no, we're, we're for real about this. Um, and I was, I was the one that was 
kind of wavering a little bit. I did not feel ready, whatever that means. Um, but Jonathan was always so sweet to remind me of our trust in the Lord and in his faithfulness and knowing that he would provide and just reminding me that we, we believe children are a gift. Um, and the, the one thing he said that really stuck with me, and I think I will say this um, forever, was that children are the only gift from God that people intentionally put off. You don't see Christians trying to delay mm, yeah. getting married. You don't see them trying to delay buying a home, seeking financial growth. But when it comes to children, we are so often persuaded to wait and enjoy it when it's just the two of you to go travel and to delay this gift of having little ones. And Jonathan was so right. And it really struck me that if we truly believe that children are a heritage from the Lord um, and that we are, you know, to fill our quiver, those who fill their quiver with children are blessed, like Psalm 127 says, there are not very many qualified reasons to wait to have children. I'm not saying there are none, but there are not very many qualified reasons to wait. Um, so we decided we were going to start trying. And it's weird how, I don't know if you experienced this, but I think when you first start trying, you kind of just expect to get pregnant right away. Um, and like that first month. And I was really alarmed by that mindset because I knew it was not a humble spirit to have. And I also knew that God does not promise us children. Um, and so that first month I was just kind of in a panic thinking about it constantly and counting down the way the days until I could test. And it was just kind of all consuming. So, um, we of course tested and, we're really disappointed when it was negative that first month, but I definitely think the Lord used that to reset my expectations and forced me to let go of control and the timing. And so that second month that we were trying, I felt way more chill about everything. Um, and actually by the grace of God, we got pregnant our second month. And oh, so I'm first currently good. six weeks. Yeah. Wow. So I'm six weeks pregnant right now. Um, and uh, we have told um, our both of our families and we plan to tell some friends before the end of my first trimester. And our reasoning for that um, is really because um, we are thankful that we are pregnant today. And we cannot worry about what may or may not happen. We want to be able to share in the joy uh, of being pregnant today. And, um, you know, if something does end up happening with this baby, um, you know, I think one of the things that I find great comfort in is that it, this baby still makes me a mom. Like, I have a life inside of me. And that is because we believe that life begins at conception. Um, and so... As I, I was saying, if, if you know something does happen, we're going to share in the joy now, but we will also share in that trial with our friends and family um, as well. And so we we want them to be a witness to as much of what we experience with us. Um, so we we haven't been we've been pretty low key about it. We've you know told our immediate family, and we will tell some friends and here in a couple of weeks. But um, we'll probably. Um, be sharing, you know, before the end of the first trimester. So um, we are very excited. Um, I'll also share that while this isn't 100% related, um, I have struggled with recurrent bladder infections since our wedding. And I've had more than a handful of UTIs. Um, it's one of those things that you 
do all the right things, everything you're supposed to do to prevent them, and you still wind up in the doctor's office month after month giving urine samples. Um, and no one ever really told me how many complications can come up with sex or fertility um, or how complicated our bodies are. And so that was just a little footnote I wanted to add because it was an added layer to our story. As I was seeking treatment for the UTIs, I would go into the doctor's office and um, you know, give the sample. And a couple of days later, they want to give me a prescription for an antibiotic. And I didn't want to be on antibiotic while we were potentially pregnant or at least trying to get pregnant. Uh, and so that was definitely an added layer uh, to all of this. Thankfully, I haven't had one since January, but um, that has been a struggle that has kind of intertwined with um, our story of trying to conceive and kind of that process. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. I know for myself, I'm um, 26 weeks pregnant. And for many of my friends, um, we've struggled with the same thing. And um, I think I think it goes back to just a lack of, of knowledge. Like you just don't know that that's something that you need to worry about. Um, so you don't even know like how to get started really on preventing it. Um, so then when it does happen, yes, the doctor doctor's first inclination is here's an antibiotic, but, um, you know, talk to your care provider about that and maybe they'll have some other suggestions. I wish I could like provide more suggestions <laughs> on the podcast, but I can't. That's okay. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. Well, um, first of all, I mean, I'm so thrilled for you guys. It's, it's such a beautiful thing when it happens and, you know, praise God that, he has given you just a good theology on pregnancy and um, on childbearing because, um, you know, it is very common for people want to want to wait to 10 to 12 weeks or whatever it may be to tell friends and family. And, you know, I think that's a valid choice, but I felt the same way for us. Um, like the day after we found out, we were telling our closest friends and family because, Um, if something had happened, you know, the last thing that I wanted to do was walk through that by ourselves. Um, I just wouldn't wish that on anyone. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. And that was, that was our mindset as well. We wanted to give God the glory, um, in the joy and in the pain. And we, we really wanted our family to be a witness to that. Um, and even our non-believing friends, um, to see that, yes, we'll celebrate, but also God is still good and we still take great joy in him, even if things were to go wrong. Yeah. Amen, sister. Um, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your pregnancy then, how yeah. it's been so far and, you know, first trimester can, um, stereotypically be a little bit rough. So are you experiencing that? What's it been like? Thankfully, by the grace of God, I have been really okay. Um, I have had some cramping, which is normal. Um, and I have to pee all the time and I'm out of breath. <laughs> um, but all anticipated and expected things for first trimester. Um, I, as far as the like fatigue and nausea or morning sickness goes, I've really been okay. I have read that that typically starts about six weeks. So I'm anticipating it to ramp up in the next couple of weeks. Um, my sister is actually six months ahead of, or sorry, six weeks ahead of me. So she's 12 weeks pregnant and she has had a rough couple, couple weeks. And so I just, based on 
I think uh, hereditary, uh, you know, genes and everything. I'm kind of anticipating the same. Just if it's rough for her, it'll probably be rough for me. But who knows? We um, have been really thankful that I haven't felt too bad. I I go to bed early anyways, but I've been going to bed at like eight o'clock, eight fifteen. Jonathan will stay up reading. We'll pray. He'll read, and I just pass out. Um, so trying to sleep a lot more. I just noticed this week, I, nothing sounds appetizing and I know I need to eat. Like if I'm going to eat healthy now is especially an important time to do so. And all I want to eat is like steak and mashed potatoes and chocolate and, uh, really big fluffy biscuits. And so, um, <laughs> of course I'm the one doing the cooking and I have my meal plan all ready to go for the next two weeks. So we are sticking with it regardless of how it sounds. Um, but I've, I've noticed that and I have had just tinges of nausea, but nothing major. Um, so thankfully all is well and, um, everything seems to be on track and normal. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, before we got pregnant, I used the the keto paleo approach for um, fertility, and and that was successful for us. And um, we tried for a long time, and with that and some really good supplements, we were able to get pregnant. But um, when I first got pregnant, I was trying to like stick to you know really healthy eating and all of that. And I think by like seven weeks, I was like definitely throwing up every day and definitely eating Taco Bell like two or three (gasps) times a week. (laughs) Like it just, it just changed and there was not really a lot I could do about it because I had such a a cooking aversion and like a food aversion in my home. Um, so I'm definitely not saying that that's going to be the case for you, but it was the case for me and it was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kind of waiting for everything to hit me all at once um, since it hasn't yet. And I told Jonathan before we hopped on the call, I was like, I think I'm going to go get some Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich and fries after this. Cause that just, I, you know, had chicken minis yesterday. I'm going back today. I just, I don't know. There's something about fried chicken right now. It just sounds really good. So <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. Well, and I know that Chick-fil-A has been in a little bit of hot water recently, but at the same time, I'm like, still kind of feel like that's God's chicken. So it's fine, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. So what are you doing to you and Jonathan, what are you doing to prepare for the baby? And, um, I really to prepare for the rest of pregnancy as well, because it's a long journey. Yeah. I love that question. I am worried out of my mind about how I'm going to parent. I have so much confidence uh, in him. He he and I both come from great families, but he was like a really good kid. Uh, I was a bit more rebellious. And so I'm praying that our children just have his genes and are just naturally well behaved <laughs> and um, <laughs> we can somehow glean uh, you know his parents parenting skills and and pass those on uh, we're doing a lot of Wilson family reading so um, I just started uh, one of Doug Wilson's books I'm blanking on the name right now but um, they have a lot of family and um, uh, parenting books and so I'll probably dig into some of Rachel Jankovic's as well in the next couple of weeks. Um, I, I'm hoping to not overdo it 
in a way. Um, I don't want to just try and cram everything in and think I need to know everything right when it happens. I mean, initially, I think you feed your baby and love your baby and change their diaper and um, just, you know, take care of them and love them uh, those first first couple of months. And so um, I, I'm banking on just kind of taking it day by day, week by week, as far as growing in our parenting skills and abilities. But I do worry and struggle quite a bit with um, how my parenting will uh, come to fruition in later years. So um, trying to dig into a bunch of Wilson family uh, intel and watch some Q and A's from them. We we love the Wilsons um, and have learned a lot from them over the years. Um, as far as the rest of pregnancy goes, I I'm almost kind of waiting. I think I think I'm uh, just giving it some time to kind of get into the clear a bit more um, before I start really diving into like, okay, what do we need for the nursery? Um, what do we need, uh, you know, in the house? And as far as those first couple of months go, um, but I have done some, a bit of research on midwives and doulas and natural, natural birthing and that sort of thing. So um hoping to glean a lot from this podcast as well, listening to some birth stories and uh, trying to set realistic expectations for what that experience will be like. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, I think getting prepared um, and like reading and gleaning wisdom is such a great thing to do. But I also feel right there with you with just that anxiety surrounding like, how am I going to mess up my kids? <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> um, and I think that's natural for any parent, but the best thing that we can do is just lay that down at the feet of Christ and know that these kids are his and not ours. Um, and that we are just, um, you know, shepherding them while they're in our homes and, and beyond. But, um, you know, just what a gift it is to um, raise one of his image bearers. Absolutely. I think another thing we'll, I'd like to add to that too, is just spending time with other parents and families uh, with young young children. Um, we, like I said, we have an incredible church community and um, quite a variety of uh, family ages and cross-generational relationships. And so spending time with those families and seeing actively how uh, other people parent, I think is helpful um, as well in, in preparing for that. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much to learn from people um, who you look up to as parents um, and also people who parent maybe a little bit different than you think you're going to. Mm -hmm. um, I know for us, like our church, like y'all's has a lot of just really great families and um, there's families in it that do things a little bit different than I think we will, but we've still learned just an incredible amount for, from them and um you know, just knowing that our kids are going to grow up together is, is such a beautiful thought. Um, so this is really forward looking, but I'm yeah. always curious when I'm talking to other pregnant women, um, have y'all thought at all about education? Yes, we decided probably before we even got married that we wanted to homeschool, uh, which I 
had never thought about it, didn't think I would be cut out for it. Um, and as things have progressed in uh, our country and in our culture the last 12 months or so, um, really even longer than that, but specifically in the last year, we have become more and more set in that decision. Um, and we're, we're pretty, we joke about how our kids aren't going to have any toys because we're going to make them play with like cardboard boxes and plastic water bottles and <laughs> like sticks, just, rocks. <laughs> yes. Yes. We want to be very minimal, uh, as far as like bringing them up those first couple of years and really not wanting to look like the rest of the world. Um, and I'm sure we will bend on some things here and there. And, you know, before you're a parent, you say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And of course things change. So I fully anticipate that we, we will have toys in our home, but, um, yeah, we, we hope to homeschool. We hope to spend a lot of time outside. Um, and we live in a great, really, um, like low key, uh, city uh, that I feel like is a really great place to raise children where it's not so focused on keeping up with the Joneses. Um, and we have a great homeschool community here too, especially through our church. So uh, we have a lot of people who've gone before us um, in a couple homeschooling mom uh, Facebook groups as well that I decided to join early because I, I wanted to kind of get, get my bearings and understand like what how do people do this and how does this work? What does this look like? And so uh, I'll check in there every now and every now and again, knowing that we have plenty of time before I have to start picking curriculums and planning, planning our school year, but uh, definitely committed to homeschooling and to giving our children just a very normal and easygoing upbringing, uh, spending a lot of time outside uh, with the neighborhood kids um, not worried about cell phone, social media. Um, and that's, that's a conversation too, that we've kind of had as well Is are we going to share, you know, photos of our children online or not? And, you know, with my photography business, that's, um, kind of a hard thing to do because I take pictures for a living and, um, you know, we will have an overabundance of pictures of our kids and so um, we're still trying to work through a lot of that and what that will look like. We obviously have plenty of time, but that's that's part of that conversation, too, of like, what do we want our child, our kids childhood to look like? Um, and so very much looking forward to homeschooling. Sorry, there's kind of a couple of random topics thrown in there, too. But um, no, I love looking it. Forward, yeah, looking forward to that and really thankful to have a solid community and support system already in place um, for when that time comes. Yeah, that is so awesome. Um, and I definitely am on the same page with all of that. My husband and I um, are also hoping to homeschool. And um, there's a lot of really good co-op kind of situations around our area. So maybe something like that. But um, I don't know if you listen or like the Sheologians. Um their podcast I've I've really learned a lot from um and on Monday they just put out and obviously this will be a little bit backdated whenever this episode comes out but they have an episode called the duties of woman and education um mm -hmm. and 
it was such a good episode talking about these things. And um, one of the things that they talked about was um, the first thing that so many people who don't understand homeschool want to say is, well, what if your kid's awkward or what if they're, they don't know how to socialize or things like that. And, um, you know, Summer on the podcast was talking about, I don't want my kids to be socialized by the peers in public yeah. schools. I want my kids yeah. to learn how to act and um, treat others by myself and my husband. Um, and I think that that's such a beautiful way of looking at, um, you know, education and kids, because at the end of the day, like we have a high calling to, um, to raise them. And if our, if our concern is what if they're a little weird, um, (laughs) then I think that's a good indication that we do need to homeschool. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. We, Uh we, we look at the high schoolers, uh, around us that are homeschooled and, uh, gosh, we just pray that our children would, grow up to be like those high school kids. Um, I, (laughs) the, the town I grew up in, the high schools were just a mess and they were great schools, great education. Um, but public education is not what it was when we were in school, uh, let alone probably just even a couple of years ago. And so, um, yeah, we, (laughs) we have been, that, that idea has been confirmed just based on our experience with public school kids versus homeschool kids and the difference in maturity um, and the difference in their ability to interact with adults. And like what you were saying, like it's, it's the blind leading the blind when you're expecting your seven-year-old to learn how to socialize from other Um, Mm seven-year-olds. So. Yeah. Also um, a really kind of popular idea in the American church is, well, I'm going to send my kids to public school to be a light. Mm -hmm. Well, children are are not and will never be asked by the Lord to um, to be a missionary within public school. Like there's nothing biblical about that. We don't throw our kids to the sharks and say, okay, go be a light to the sharks. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is what we're called to do to protect them. And, you know, can our kids share the gospel and um, all of those things? Of course they can, but um, do we set them up for failure, expecting them to be um, the public school missionary? I don't think so. Um, right. And that doesn't mean that every family who has kids in public school is, you know, doing something terrible or anything like that. There are definitely situations right. where that's the only option. And I fully understand that. But I think if that is the option and the choice of a family, it just means that, you know, family worship and um, discipling your kids is so much more important. Yes, yes. And homeschool provides an opportunity for a much more personal, personalized education, um, especially if you do end up with a child who has some issues or learning disabilities along the way, like you are there to um, help navigate those and steward those steward those in so much more of an intimate and personal way than if they were in a public school education um, or a public school environment with a ton of kids in a classroom having to follow the same curriculum and the same processes. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas at home, you're able to manage those, those things 
quite a bit better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I think one more misconception that I'd love to talk about is um, just that a lot of people think that because they maybe don't have a college education or um, they do have a college education, but nothing near um, an education degree, um, they think that they are not qualified to teach their kids. Um, and I just want to say that that is a lie from the enemy. Um, and uh, that's something that's kept many, many, many families from homeschool. Um, and if you are a parent it, and you're a believer um, and you trust the Lord, it means that you're qualified um, because he qualifies you. Um, and there are so many resources out there that you never, ever, ever have to do it alone. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been just incredible and so fun to talk about, you know, where you've come from and, um, you know, your fertility journey and now early pregnancy and um, even looking forward into raising your kids and their education and um, all of those things. It's just been really a gift to talk to you today, Melanie. Um, is there any anything else? We've talked about a few resources already, but um, are there any resources you want to point people to or any like public platforms that you want to point people to that they can connect with you on? Oh, sure. Um, I am most active on Instagram, uh, Melanie Foster Photo. Um, and that's probably the best place to find me. Um, I'm not super active anywhere else, but uh, Instagram is where we share about our innovation and our beliefs. Um, and I, Jonathan was telling me the, the other day, we were um, watching some videos back on my phone and he was saying, uh, one of the things he most admires about me that he maybe didn't initially uh, was my persistence. <laughs> and I will say, I think that comes across in uh, my social media channels. <laughs> I am pretty persistent and pretty bold in sharing my beliefs and in my faith. And so um, I think that turns a lot of people away, but also um, hopefully attracts people to the truth of the gospel. Um, so that's probably the best place. Um, as far as uh, other resources, um, the I guess the app that I mentioned was called Read Your Body. Um, I started using Kendara when I was tracking my cycle, and that's another great one as well. Uh, we track temps with Temp Drop, um, and I think that was about it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I I can definitely relate on being bolder on social media than a lot of people. And I think it's something that we should continue doing, you know, be bold and love and kindness. And, um, you know, scripture says, and th these are from the words of Jesus, that my sheep hear my voice. Jesus mm -hmm. said that um, those who are his will know him. Um, and so I think when we boldly share, um, if you know, if those people are meant to be saved, then they will be. And um, we just have a sweet and rare opportunity to point people to Christ on these platforms. And and that's what we're called to do. So I think that's yeah. awesome. And we'll definitely yeah. put your profile linked in the show notes. Perfect. Thank you so much. 
Yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much, Melanie, for being here today. It's been a gift and um, I know that others will be encouraged by this. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blessing to be able to share a little bit of our story and our exciting news. Of course. I truly hope that today's episode was an encouragement to you. I pray that you will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. Please subscribe, share, and leave a rating for this podcast. I could not do this without you. See you next time.